Happy Sabbath uh, to each and every one of you. Thank you so much uh, to the Penrod family for that beautiful um, song. Praise the Lord. I mean, uh, isn't just the worship service awesome? Uh, we just thank God. Uh, I want to thank uh, my man Garth here behind the camera. I want to thank the, the booth up there, the, the sound team, the, the streaming team there led by Brother Charles and everybody else, uh, you know, Sister Joyce with the organ and everybody else who takes part in the, in the worship service. It's just such a blessing to, be, to, to worship God together and to give him something worthy, worthy of, of, who, of who he is. Amen. So praise be to God. Um, <clears throat> happy Sabbath, if I didn't say that already. It's good to be with you, um, even if it's through the camera. Uh, we trust that the time is getting closer in which we will actually be meeting face to face, flesh and bones together. Um, and uh, today, uh, I'm grateful. It's actually Pastor Rob, he, 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 re- he made a request of me um, to, to share a message on spiritualism. And um, <clears throat> I don't recall, if, I don't think I've ever preached a message on spiritualism proper, um, but I was blessed by uh, studying and uh, looking into it. Uh, so thank you, Pastor Rob, for that uh, request. And uh, by God's grace, I think God has a word for us. Uh, but let's, let's talk to him. Um, I need to talk to him so he can enable me to deliver the message he has given. So please just join me in prayer, if you will. Father in heaven, Lord, happy Sabbath. Father, we are here. Our attention is here. Lord, we have our Bibles. We are ready for you to speak to us. Oh, Father, and I tremble at the fact that I need to deliver the message, deliver the mail. But, Father, I look to you and I pray that you will enable me um, to be able to, to deliver a message, Lord, that you will help me to stay out of the way so that Jesus and him alone can shine today. Lord, um, just make me, make me like that old rusty nail on the wall, Lord, upon, upon which a picture, a beautiful picture, a clear picture, a clean picture of Jesus Christ can hang, Lord. This is my earnest request, and I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, friends. Spiritualism, end-time deception for Christians. Now, I, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say, okay? I'm going to reveal some things about myself that you may not know, Okay. Some of you may think you know me, but today I want to tell you more about my life. My real name is Carlos. My nickname is Charlie. I am married. I have two daughters. And before the Lord called me to ministry to be a pastor, I studied and graduated from medical school. I actually practiced emergency medicine in the largest hospital there in New York City for about five years. And actually, I was quite frugal, and I did well in my investments, so I'm actually worth about a little over $2 million. Now, after the Lord called me into the ministry, I became fluent in Greek and Hebrew, and I've baptized about about 2,000 souls by the grace of God, and I did all this before I was 35 years old. (laughs) Now, how do you feel about this information I just gave you? Is it true or is it a lie? Well, how would you know? How would you know? Well, my friends, what you need to know is the truth. 
if you knew me and spent time with me and looked and investigated a little bit into my life, you would know the truth. The truth is that before I was a pastor, I was a teacher. I have two very used vehicles. I live in a mobile home and am nowhere near fluent in Greek or Hebrew. By God's grace, I have baptized some, but nowhere near 2,000 um, souls. So that is the truth. So you see what I told you, this statement was a mixture, was a cocktail of truth and lies. And then I couched it in some very religious sounding language. I said things like, well, when the Lord called me into ministry, or by God's grace, this is an example, my friends, of how the devil operates. Deception. You see, the devil is an expert at mixing truth with error, dressing it up in some holy language, and then delivering it to your door with a smile on his face. He is a deceiver, a trickster, a con man, the king of counterfeits. And today I want to tell you more about one of his more, more successful lies or deceptions, and that is spiritualism. Now, defined in the dictionary, and the dictionaries vary a little bit, but not much, spiritualism is a system of belief or religious practice based on supposed communications with the spirits of the dead, especially through mediums. And you know, spiritualism comes in many shapes and forms, and the reality is that society is saturated with spiritualism. For example, in the entertainment business, we have top actors openly consulting the spirits of the dead individuals that they are acting as. For example, um, Denzel Washington, I have a picture of him here, one of the top actors in Hollywood, said the following in an interview years back about his role in the movie Glory, which was about the plight of a regiment of slaves turned soldiers during the Civil War. And I'm not, I'm not hating on the brother, as uh, the current generation says, you know. I'm not trying to hate on Denzel Washington. I'm just telling you the truth. This is what he said. He says, in the 1889, well, this is what the interviewer said. In the 18, I'm sorry, in the 1989 film Glory, Mr. Washington describes preparation for a scene in an interview. And this now is Brother Denzel Washington. And he says, before going out to shoot the whipping scene, and that was a scene that was very, very emotional about, you know, these men being whipped. Um, and uh, it was a very emotional, very strong scene. He says, I'm backstage in a room and I'm thinking, how am I going to do this scene? All I did, you know, people ask me, how did you prepare? I say, I prayed, and I got on my knees, and they were waiting for me, and I prayed, and then I prayed to all the spirits. I said, look, fellas, ladies, and I'm talking about those who have been, and I said, look, I don't know. I'm just rolling with you all. Just whatever happens, I'm going, and I said, are you with me? Come on. I'm serious, and then he goes on to finish his that statement, he says, it's not technical, 
It's not science. It's spirit. We have famous musicians conjuring up the help of spirits to perform on stage. We have top-selling book series exalting wizardry um, or witchcraft, which is kind of the same, which is, is, is the same thing, like Harry Potter, for example. Um, now look at him. He looks like he's ready to go to Sabbath school, is, doesn't he? Sweet little kid. Um, but in fact, um, Harry Potter is a series of fantasy novels written by uh, a British author called J.K. Rowling. The novels chronicle the lies of a young wizard. It's a male witch. Harry Potter and his friends, uh, Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley, all of whom are students at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and wizard, Wizardry. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> uh, not really. This is just to, to cite a few examples and these examples are dated, my friends. I, I recognize. I've been out of touch for a little bit. But a friend of mine just shared with me that Disney, good old Disney, is coming out with a new movie called Soul. And it's coming out this summer. And it's all about um, how this man dies and, and uh, he goes to the Soul Kingdom. And they have a grand old time there in the Soul Kingdom. Um, anyway... That's spiritualism, my friend. The reality is that spiritualism, which falls under the umbrella of the occult and which is all about communicating with the dead or with the spirits, as they are often referred to, is a direct result of a satanic attack on God and his character and is supported, at least among Christians, by a twisting of understanding of the teaching of the state of the dead. In other words, what happens when you die? You see, the common belief out there in the world, and sadly, in the church, is in the immortality of the soul. In other words, the teaching goes like this, that the body and soul are two separate entities within the person, and that when a person dies, the body dies, but the inward immortal soul is released and goes to be with God. Well, now that sounds pretty appealing, right? But the biblical picture of death is quite different. I'm going to give you a few, I'm going to read off a few um, texts here. Uh, just follow along with me. You may not be familiarized with the Bible teaching on death. But, for example, in Genesis 2-7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or a living being, as other versions say it. So we have the, the, the dust uh, comprising the physical body of man, made, up, made, up, made out of dust, and we have the breath of God coming together through a work of God, the creative work of God, and that union makes the living being, or the living soul. So we are souls. We don't necessarily have this entity called a soul, that it's alive and conscious. When the Bible refers to soul, it's, it's more referring to in a figurative sense, not in a literal sense that we have an actual conscious soul within us. We are souls. We don't necessarily have souls. 1 Timothy 6.16 starts off by saying that God alone has immortality. That's 1 Timothy 6.16. So we do not have immortality, nor is there some obscure entity within us that has immortality. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5 says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. The Bible is clear. And I, I'm just sharing just a few verses. Um, there's so many we could share. The dead, the Bible says, have no consciousness. They don't know anything because they're dead. Um, John 11, 11, Jesus, talking about his friend Lazarus that had died, he says, these things he said, and after that he said to them, now Jesus is uh, speaking, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Jesus and the Bible writers both in the Old and New Testament refer to death as a sleep. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 5 and 17 tell us, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, referring to those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So when we die, when Christians die, friends, um, we don't go up into heaven. We are peacefully resting in the graves, waiting for the resurrection morning when Jesus comes back, that that will take place. Now the point I really want, that I really want to stick with us today is that the Word of God is our only safeguard against any deception, including spiritualism. You see, the devil can mess with your senses, making you see a lie. He can make you hear a lie. He can make you feel a lie or something, or something deceptive or some false miracle. He can even have you smell a lie. He can mess with us in that way. But the devil cannot mess with the Word of God. Trust me, he can't. He's tried over the centuries. He's tried to change it. He's tried to outlaw it. He's tried to burn it. But God will not allow that. God has miraculously preserved the integrity of the Bible throughout the centuries so that we can have that sure foundation for our faith. And I praise the Lord for that, friends. Now, going back to Genesis, we find that the first lie ever told about death goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Eve repeated to the devil what God had said to Adam about them dying if they ate of that forbidden fruit. Friends, we have here a picture of Eve um, having a conversation with the devil, um, contemplating his words. And then we find there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, that in response to what Eve had said, the devil plainly says, you shall not, you will not surely die. This lie, the first recorded lie in Scripture, has served as a basis for all pagan religions. If you take time to study the history of the different pagan religions, practically all of them believe in two things. Number one, they believe in righteousness by works. And number two, they believe in communication with what is called the spirits 
or the spirit of the ancestors, or the spirit of nature, the spirit of the trees, of the flowers, of the mountains, of the whale, of the wolf. The Bible calls that familiar spirits. Now, God knew this, was, this would be a big temptation for Israel. So when, when Moses was, was um, there writing God's instructions, we find here that part of those instructions for Israel um, was in Leviticus 19 and verse 31. There God says to the people and tells us through Moses, the inspired writer, he says, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You see, the nation surrounding where Israel was, was seeped in paganism. They, they were pagan nations. And they believed in this. So God was trying to protect his people from this great deception. But one of the most instructive um, scenes, one of the most uh, instructive portions of Scripture on spiritualism is found in the story of King Saul's encounter with the witch of Endor, found in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 3. And I want you to go there with me if you're able. There in your homes and those few of us who are here. 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 3. 1 Samuel 28 and verse 3. I read, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Interesting that it mentions uh, Saul outlawing um, the, the, the practice of witchcraft or, or mediums and spiritists. You see, Saul's mentor, King Saul's mentor, the great prophet Samuel, had just died. And those feisty Philistines came back for another fight, came back for war again. And we find here in verse 5, now Saul has been now for a long time um, walking in open rebellion to God. And we find here in verse 5 that it tells us the following. I'm in the same chapter, 1 Samuel 28 and verse 5. Please follow with me. And it says, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Now, notice that Saul, who had not learned to depend on God as much as he had depended on Samuel the prophet, Saul, who was no doubt a very religious man, no doubt Saul believed in the existence of God, and you could even label him a spiritual dude. He was a spiritual guy. But, you know, you got to define that, right? But we can call him spiritual. But this same Saul, by his continual pride, disobedience, cruel spirit against David, had been fighting against the convictions of the Holy Spirit upon his heart time and time again. This Saul tries in his unrepentant condition to call upon God. He tries to get some word from God as to how to proceed. And he gets 
nothing but silence from God. This guy's desperate. He's stressed out. And God gives him the silent treatment. That doesn't sound too nice. Why would a loving, merciful God not reveal himself to Saul in his time of great need? Well, friends, the truth is that Saul had closed the door of his heart to God and not the other way around. I want to share with you this um, quotation found in the book Patriarchs and Prophets. It says, The king had by his own act forfeited the benefits of all the methods of inquiring of God. He had rejected the counsel of Samuel, the prophets. He had exiled David, the chosen of God. He had slain the priest of the Lord. Could he expect to be answered by God when he had cut off the channels of communication that heaven had ordained? I mean, this guy massacred the priest of the Lord among other things. He had sinned away the spirit of grace, and could he be answered by dreams and revelations from the Lord? Saul did not turn to God with humility and repentance. It was not pardon for sin and reconciliation with God that he sought, but deliverance from his foes. By his own stubbornness and rebellion, he had cut himself off from God. There could be no return but by the way of penitence and contrition. But the proud monarch, in his anguish and despair, determined to seek help from another source. Oh, Saul, Saul, Saul. Big mistake. This is serious business, friends. In the sad scene of King Saul, we see an equally sad picture of fallen Christianity who has rejected the law of God, adopted false doctrines of devils like the immortality of the soul, has substituted God's holy day of worship, the Sabbath, for a man-made uh, day of worship Sunday, and yet still wants to receive all the benefits and privileges that God has promised his people. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. The Bible says in Psalms 25 verse 9, the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. So let's keep reading this amazing story here. Um, let's jump in this story again. I'm going to jump in it in verse 11. So please jump to verse 11 with me. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle and Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. 
Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? <laughs> Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? It's, it's quite amazing, my friends. Um, Saul doesn't want to humble himself, which is the only way to remove the silence of God. Rather, he takes his own route. He manufactures his own way to God, his own religion, a man-made religion. And this is what is so dangerous about spiritualism. You see, like my deceptive statement at the beginning, spiritualism is couched in religious overtones, in good intentions to communicate with God and to know his will. But it does, it does so on man's terms and not on God's. God has spoken through his word, and that should be enough. Amen? But spiritualism says, no, it is not enough. I will bypass the clear teaching of the Bible, and I will conjure up a better way, a better religion. I will rather depend on miracles and supernatural communication rather than the word of God. Now, clearly, spiritualism and people who are captivated by this will profess belief in the word of God, will profess that, but in practice, it's, they, it, there's another way that's conjured up alternative to what the Bible actually says. Now, stopping here in verse 15, it's very interesting. Notice the language here. This so-called Samuel, which in reality is a spirit or a demon that was impersonating Samuel, he says, why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? <laughs> Notice he didn't say, hey, man, I was chilling with God and the angels up in heaven. Um, he's basically implying the truth that Samuel was in the grave. So he says, why have you woken me up and disturbed me? I was sleeping fine in the grave peacefully until you woke me up, man. So we see here we have a very subtle mixture of truth and error. It is true that Samuel was sleeping in the grave, but it was not true that the spirit speaking was Samuel. Interesting, huh? How the devil just, you know, those subtle things, he, the, that, that mixture, that deadly cocktail, which smells so sweet. Maybe it even tastes sweet. I don't know. But it's deadly. It's, it's poison, friends. That mixture of truth and error. Let's read the second half of verse 15. It says there, And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Wow. So he just completely bypasses what God has uh, established, and he makes his own way. And this is exactly how spiritualism works, friends. Not relying on God's word, it relies on miraculous and supernatural manifestations of the spirit. Spirits. It substitutes the genuine power of God, the genuine presence of God with a counterfeit a counterfeit miracle, a counterfeit divine communication. Now, I ask you here, quiz time, quiz time. How is it 
that God communicates to us? Is it through feelings, as good as they may be? Is it through miracles, or is it through the Bible? Friends, I want to I tell you today, it's through the Bible. Yeah, nature can speak to us a little bit and whatnot, but it's primarily God communicates through the Bible, and that is important. Those inspired writings of the prophets miraculously preserved for you and me. This is a genuine miracle. <laughs> if you notice, if you study the history of the Bible, how it's been attacked, how, how old it is, how many people actually wrote it, and the, the time frame um, of these authors of the Bible. And then you study the cohesiveness of it, the cohesiveness of it, the unity of it. This is a miracle of God. <laughs> Can you say amen there? This is a miracle of God. Let's keep reading here. Um, let's go with um, verse number 16. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or night. Again, we find the subtle mixture of truth and error. What the demon says to Saul is true. It's true. He had disobeyed God. It's true. God had chosen David. All that's true. But the whole premise of the conversation was false. Because Saul was not speaking with Samuel, but with a demon impersonating Samuel. The devil knows the Bible better than me, you, or Dr. So-and-so, or Pastor So-and-so. He's a trickster. He's cunning. How cunning is the devil? And on top of that, he offers hope. He, he offers Saul no hope. In fact, the message is so depressing that later on, shortly after, Saul basically commits suicide. Mm -mm -mm. Friends, this whole spiritualism thing is dangerously attractive and deadly. Through this agency, the devil has deceived millions of well-meaning Christians who trusted more. Listen, listen, please. Christians are deceived when they trust more what their pastor, priest, or bishops say above what the Bible says. When they trust more in miracles, and I'm not saying miracles are bad, or you know, at least not all miracles are bad, but when you trust in miracles, when you trust in what you see, what you hear more than in a thus says the Lord, you're ready for some real deception, friends. The Bible says, 
the dead do not know anything. Again, the point I really want to stick with us tonight is that we need to read and study the Bible. Become acquainted with what you believe. Be ready to give an answer for your faith. And as you do this with a humble attitude, God will fill you with his Holy Spirit, convert you, and give you his power to overcome Satan and his lies. And I can say amen to that. We need to know our Bibles. The devil can't mess with that, but he'll mess with us. And you know what? The Bible indicates that in the last days, which are these days in which we are living, spiritualism will be found front and center in Satan's war against the triumph of God's truth. Join me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation as we enter the last part of this message today. Revelation chapter 12. This chapter covers basically the whole history of Christianity in broad strokes. Let's read verses 7 to 9. Again, I'm in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. And it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and his angels, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who does what? Deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, friends. That's what it says there. We find here a description of the battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. The verse mentions that Satan was cast down to the earth. When we look at it a little bit deeper, which we don't really have time to do today, but we actually find out, if we, if we, if we were to do that, that Satan was actually cast down twice. First, at the beginning of his rebellion, which, when he was still in heaven, and then he was cast down when Jesus was victorious in his mission here on earth. That's why you have Jesus saying in Luke 10, 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, speaking of his first casting down or casting out. But then Jesus also says in John 12, 31, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. This is referring to the beating that Satan took at the hands of Jesus. Now, all this to say that Satan is not happy. He's not a happy camper, as some would say. He is a sore loser. In fact, in Revelation 12, 12, it tells us there, Revelation 12, 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has a short time. A short time. The Bible presents the devil as being infuriated, enraged at his loss at Calvary. And he commits himself to cause as much damage as possible before he is burned up. It's like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a... a, a a police chase on video. 
and like in YouTube or something. I think I've watched one too many of those uh, police chases. Um, so basically, uh, the police catch the bad guy, but the bad guy, vroom, he's running in his vehicle. He's running from the police. And the police, they're, they're no dummies, and they have special tools for these criminals, these runaway, runaway criminals. And they have this thing called a spike strip, um, this long um, strip that has spikes on it. And uh, when they kind of know where the criminal is going, um, a, one brave cop comes, and he, and he kind of almost not runs in front of the, the car, but runs near the car, and then he, he unwhirls that strip with the spikes, and then uh, when the criminal passes through the spikes, then he pulls it back so the cops won't get their tires flat. But the point is to make uh, their tires flat, basically to disable the vehicle, the runaway vehicle. But, you know, it's interesting. I noticed, as I, I told you, I've watched too many of these uh, police videos, that usually these guys, they don't quit. They have one flat tire, and they, then they have sparks coming from the rims, um, you know, spinning on the concrete. And then they have sometimes two or three flat tires. And you know what? They keep going, even though they know it's game over. They know it's game over. And you know what else is scary? Sometimes they ram their cars into police cars to, or, or, or into some innocent bystander to cause as much damage as possible because they know they're going to be locked up and for a long time. And this is exactly like the devil. He acts in that same way. He knows he's going down. He knows he got that death blow at Calvary. He knows it's game over for him. But he's going down, and he's going to try to take as many as he can with him. He's going to try to cause as much damage, as much pain to God as he can. So the Bible in the book of Revelation says that the, the, that the devil basically comes up with this coalition of forces. A coalition that uses force and uses what else? Deception to accomplish the devil's goals. Some Bible students call this coalition the unholy trinity. Revelation describes them as follows. The dragon, which is Satan primarily, but indirectly it also means uh, or refers to the power that Satan uses to accomplish his goals, primarily pagan Rome or, or pre-Christian Rome, you know, when they, um, the forces that be at that time tried to kill baby Jesus. Um, so the Bible also calls that power the dragon as well, but primarily refers to the devil. Um, secondly, you have the beast, which rules and persecutes for 1,260 years. This beast also tries to change God's laws and to speak names or many blasphemies. A good Bible study and a good look at history will clearly point to the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church. And again, I'm not trying to hate on nobody. I love Catholics. Um, we're just speaking about the system. But this is the truth, friends. And the Bible points to the truth, and it is the truth that we need to be able to avoid deception. So this beast power, it ruled Europe with an almost unlimited power for centuries. It persecuted millions of Christians who did not accept the false doctrines and practice um, 
you know, and, and, and practices, the false doctrines and practices of Rome. And history reveals the fact that the papacies, basically its reign of power, uh, lasted, guess how long? 1,260 years from 538 A.D. to 1798. Now, there's a third member of the unholy trinity, and that is what the Bible calls the false prophet, or it also calls it the second beast in Revelation 13. And this is referring to fallen or apostate Protestantism. In other words, those Christians who left the Catholic Church were called Protestants or protesters. They were protesting against the mother churches, Rome's errors. These protesters, the, Bible's, the Bible declares and also history, that they have ceased to protest, but rather have accepted the mother church's false teachings, including the mark of its authority, that is, the false Sabbath, Sunday. In Revelation 16, verses 13 and 14, which, is, which was our scripture reading today, I'll read that again for you. Revelation 16, 13 and 14, it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth. And here's, it's, it's, it's going to name the members of this unholy trinity. Out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons. Notice, spirits of demons performing signs. Another word for that is miracles. Performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So it mentions them there in Revelation 16. But I want to take you quickly, and uh, we're wrapping this up here, in Revelation chapter 13, it actually you, you find these three members of the unholy trinity in action. You find this satanic coalition in action here in Revelation 13. Verse 1 says, real quick, it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a what? A beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Verse 2, now the, what was that word? The beast, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. And what was it, what, how does it continue saying there? The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. The dragon primarily meaning Satan, but also in a secondary sense it means pagan Rome or Rome before it was Christianized, okay? So you have pagan Rome giving power to this beast. So there we have it, verses 1 and 2. There, there we have the dragon and the beast. And if we jump to verse number 11, we find the third member. And it says this, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. A lamb is consistently a symbol for Christ. 
in the book of Revelation and throughout the New Testament as well, and also the Old Testament. So you have this Christian power, which is what a beast, you know, uh, also represents a power, this Christian power, and it says that spoke like a dragon. Very interesting. And in verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. So this power would also be a superpower. But this is an end times superpower. As Rome was an ancient superpower, this power is an end time superpower. Okay? And it says, it continues saying, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So we have here the issue of worship, my friends. This is a religious battle. It's a spiritual battle. Whose deadly wound was healed. Verse 13. Now notice if you see something here, a commonality. He performs what, friends? Great signs. So that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Hmm, that reminds me of a true prophet in the Old Testament called Elijah, that the power of God came down, manifesting itself there when Elijah prayed to God. But we have here the false prophet. Also, bringing down fire from heaven. But notice for what purpose, verse 14. And he does what? That key word, that key word, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. And then it, it, it continues on there. I'll, I'll leave it there for now. I'm reminded of the words that we find in Great Controversy, page 593. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Friends, we need to know the Bible. And God is so good. God is so good. The Bible should be enough. But the Bible itself says that God would give us extra help in the form of the prophetic gift. If you read the book of Joel in the Old Testament... If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17, and then Revelation 19, 10, it tells us that God's last day people would be blessed with the writings of a last day prophet. The spirit of prophecy, which we as Seventh-day Adventist Church are blessed with, friends. The writings of Ellen G. White. And I want to tell you, you guys there have in your homes the book, The Great Controversy. Some of you have not even read that book from cover to cover. That's okay. Um, I'm not going to beat you up for that. But... At least the last half of the book, you got to read it. At least the last third of that book, from like chapter 30 onwards, you have to read it. It's light. It's truth. It's an additional benefit, an additional um, inside information into the devil's plans. And wouldn't it be a shame if we just let it collect dust? Friends, if we fortify our minds with the Bible, with the prophetic writings, We have nothing to fear from the devil. We have nothing to fear from the deceptions of spiritualism um, and the false miracles. We have nothing to fear from 
um, Sunday laws or religious persecution. We have nothing to fear from economic boycotts or, or pestilences or whatever may come. Nothing to fear. Because he who, who has the Son, he who's a, who the Son makes free is free indeed. And to close, I want to tell you this. Like a crazed suicide attacker, the devil is coming to do some serious damage. And he is armed to the teeth. According to the book of Daniel and Revelation, he comes with lies and deceptions and force. Yes, he is fully armed, friends, with the bullets. He's got whole, whole magazines and a whole bunch of bullets of false Christian teachings. He has brought with him some grenades of religious persecution. He has also in his arsenal some bombs of public opinion against the commandment-keeping people of God. And he has another bomb of an economic boycott. And lastly, he also has the threat of death to do some serious damage to God's cause and his people here on earth. He is certainly a strong foe. <laughs> but that's not the whole story, friends. Because my Bible tells me that there's somebody else on the other side of that battle. Another figure in that battle. He is called the Alpha and the Omega, the living word of God. He is the great sin bearer. He is the Lamb of God that was slain. He is the Savior that rose from the grave. He is the priest, the high priest, that intercedes and vindicates God's people. He is Michael, the archangel, the commander of the angelic host. He is, as he is called in Revelation 19, 11, the faithful, the true one, and the one who makes war. His name is Jesus. And he is the only one powerful enough to save us from Satan and the deception of spiritualism. And let me tell you, save us, he will. Let us fill our minds with his word. Let us fill our lips with his praises. Let us take him at his word. And we'll be all right. Nothing to worry about. Amen? I encourage you and all of us here to take God at his word and we have nothing to worry about. Please pray, please pray with me, friends. Father God in heaven, thank you because we have nothing to fear because that mighty conqueror who has not even lost, not even won battle to Satan, he's on our side. He stands for us. He fights for us and in us and through us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. We rest in him. And this, your rest day that points us to Jesus, we rest in him, Father. Please, Lord, give us a burden to, to get into your word more. Give us a burden to, to study the light you've given us in the spirit of prophecy more, Lord. Give us a burden, Lord, to be prepared for this great battle of deception. And also, Lord, give us a burden for souls 
that need to know this beautiful truth that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you again, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wherever you are, I ask that you join us as we sing our closing hymn, Give Me the Bible, number 272. Give Me the Bible. Father, thank you again for your many blessings. Thank you for your word. Lord, as we close this worship service, Father, we are entering into the rest of this worship day. Lord, I pray 
Give us a worshipful spirit today. May we, may we walk with you today. Bless your church, Lord, wherever they may find themselves, Lord, whether it be in their homes or, or somewhere else. Bless those of us who are here in the sanctuary, Father. Um, may we count on your blessing, Lord. Oh, Father, and by your grace and mercy, make us a blessing to somebody today. Thank you again, Lord. We love you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Sabbath, church family.